I think the losers of this pandemic are the people who still post the same basic bitch like Instagram photo type things, uh, like vain photos of them in isolation. It's like, <laughs> or, or or people that are reliant on like traveling. Uh, to get those clickbaits and to get those uh, thumbs up and likes. Uh, I do see still some of those if you scroll through the IG, except, uh, you know, they're supposed to be dated, like, uh, was that uh, Throwback Thursday or uh, Latergram? But sometimes, you know, kind of probably people will purposely forget it to uh, kind of give the illusion that, hey, I might be still traveling right now. I have a secret way, you know, talk to me, slide into my DM. <laughs> so fucking stupid we've come to embrace the term social distancing from the centers for disease control that means avoiding group gatherings plus crowded subways and buses social distancing in action social distancing social distancing social distancing the new coronavirus buzz phrase yes the buzz phrase of the moment is social distancing also known as, don't breathe on me, bitch. How many different sets of hands that those dollar bills have passed within that day alone, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's really funny when we watch some of our favorite uh, movies, whether it's about, like, uh, uh, the Mexican drug lords or the de shady dealings, and you see people, like, taking a big stack of cash and sniffing it or, like, like laying and swimming in money. You... <laughs> You start to wonder, you know. Big fat one and grab my guitar and play. Hey, what's going on? Thanks for tuning in to the EWB podcast. This is your host, Emil Wang, coming to you with part eight of the social distancing series, a series where I catch up with my friends from around the world during this COVID-19 pandemic. And on the phone, I have a new guest to the pod, a an avid supporter, somebody who uh, has actually listened to many of my episodes, so thank you very much. A good friend of mine from my Cal Bear days, a running mate in the backcourt, somebody I tossed alley-oops to uh, on a nightly basis, Mr. Jason Eric Wang, how are you? Uh, how's it going, Emil? Good to sync up again. That's really funny because uh, it took a lot of many unsuccessful attempts before we finally got that game ender alley-oop to go in. <laughs> so if you had to put a percentage to how many alley-oops we, we successfully completed, what, what would you guess? I, I have a number. Uh, somewhere between 40 and 50. Uh, it definitely Ooh. got we got better at the end, and there was... Uh, improvement, though. What oh, do you think? I, I was, I was going to guess 20%. <laughs> <laughs> and, I wasn't that bad. And don't get me wrong. I, I was the one throwing the passes, so I'm the one to blame. It was uh, the, the finishing. <laughs> no, I, had, I, I definitely had my faults, too. But it's funny because now in pickup, um, because a lot of times pickup, uh, you're going up to a certain count. You're not necessarily paying pick up based on time so right. uh, a lot of times if uh, i'm only three away from game point i try the steph curry uh, near half court near the logo uh three-pointer uh, to try to ice it instead of the alley-oop now <laughs> go for the glory i like it i i have not played ball in ages uh like i, I want to say it's coming up on maybe three years now that i have not played a serious game of basketball which is um, which is really sad because, you know, I, I think back, uh, like the really good days, the, the very few good memories I had at Cal. And one of them is, you know, how much we played basketball, right? Like me, you, 
uh, Mark Helleboyd, shout out to Mark, um, Cliff, uh, all, all those guys. And, you know, I, I just really, I, I, I don't do it much anymore. Um, in New York, I remember you came out and watched one of my games, which is, which was a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but, for sure. Yeah. But ever since I moved to Seattle, it just, part of it's just not having time, but part of it, it's just, part of it's just getting old, which is, um, which is a reality, reality of life, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you don't, want, you don't want to get too much of that dad bod. Uh, it's pretty f- funny that you mentioned uh, you were tucking your kid away. I was loading up on uh, what I guess uh, parents would call a quote-unquote daddy juice, even though I'm not a dad. Uh, so just to get a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, a little more open for our, our talk today. What, what's daddy juice? Oh, you got to look that up. I guess it's more common to say mommy juice, but uh, I guess it's wine. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought it was something to help <laughs> stimulate your uh, sperm production. I was like, man, you're you're jumping a few steps. I knew you had oh, a girlfriend, no, no, but no. I was like, yeah, hitting, hitting the home run before you uh, you make it to first base. But all right, cool, Jay. <laughs> Again, super glad to have you on today, and uh, it, it's it's cool to catch up because you and I have exchanged a lot of messages over the years, and of course we met up when we could, but. Um, your life has taken you to to living in Taiwan, and I wanted to start there. You know, you you were working in the Bay Area, and something something clicked that made you want to move to Taiwan. What was it? Yeah, I kind of figured it's been like ten years in the Bay uh, after college, uh, so I, it's almost been like half my more than half my life has just been tied to one place. And when I was realized when I was driving around, I was like, hey, I remember memories here like 10 years ago, driving by Berkeley, kind of what you mentioned, say, passing by the RSF. Hey, there's memories here 14 years ago. And I'm just like, my life doesn't feel very uh, complete if it's just all the memories are kind of tied to one place. Uh, and then going to a couple of weddings for my friends, I saw that a lot of people, they had a vast amount of uh, experiences and connections worldwide. And I thought, you know, if I didn't do it now, uh, when I when would I would be able to do it? Kind of the timing just sort of worked out. Uh, I got laid off, but I was giving some advance notice at a time. So I entered a program called uh, Hackers Paradise, which I heard through uh, one of my friends. Uh, basically, it's a co-working group that moves from place to place every couple of months. Uh, so they move to a new country for a couple of months. They find you a safe place to live. They get you a SIM card. They get you a... Uh, co-working facility that's safe. <laughs> they get you a uh, SIM card where you deal with drugs. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> that's one of their advertisements. I don't know. I guess that's pretty tough to, to do sometimes. Uh, but anyways, the, the point of it is is that it's supposed to be like kind of a communal experience. So it's uh, you're in a new place with people, but it's not a uh, quote-unquote vacation. Um, it's supposed to be a, a working uh, habitat group. Uh, so it just happened that I saw an advertisement um, for two months in Taiwan – and yeah, when my friend uh, Jason uh, did it, I think he did it like four or five years ago, I was like, damn, uh, I kind of want to do that. And if I ever pass through Taiwan again, I'm going to jump on it. Uh, and it just happened that it was going to start the day after my last day uh, at Verizon. So I booked it months ahead of time, clicked it, paid the down payment, uh, didn't look back, and I did not have an end date uh, when I began. You know, it's funny that you talk about staying in the Bay Area because really when I was going to school there and when I graduated, that was my idea of 
living out my life, just staying in the Bay Area, being around family. And to, to your point about, you know, getting out and trying new things and experiencing other places, uh, I, I am very grateful that despite it all being in the U.S., I, I have lived in several cities. I, I thought that you lived in South Carolina or North Carolina. Uh, yeah, that was only for like uh, four months, though. And then oh, I also okay. had like eight months uh, in Texas. But actually, uh, one of the people I did think about was you. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember. Did you leave for Las Vegas right after school or was there some a little bit of lag? Literally, uh, I finished my finals. I moved out of my little shitty studio, drove home, uh, I think spent one night there. And then next day, eight hour drive down to Vegas, started work two days later. It was, um, I was desperate for a job. And at that time, that was one of the, uh, I should say, prerequisites for, for that job was, you know, you, you, mm -hmm. you are down here within the week of you graduating because we need bodies on site. So, um, yeah, I didn't have that time to, to really think about, you know, what my life decision was. And, and I honestly, I think I'd only been offered that job three weeks before. It was, um, you know, 2008. It was kind of a weird time for all of us. And it, 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 it must have been nice for you to to be put on notice that, you know, hey, this, you know, your position at Verizon wouldn't uh, wasn't going to be forever. Um, how much time did you have to plan for that move? Uh, it was actually like uh, two or three months. And another coincidental thing that happened was. One of my former coworkers at a uh, previous company started uh, his own company, and he asked me, hey, is there anything we can do uh, to get you to start here? Because when you start your own company, the hardest thing to do is to hire people. Uh, a lot of the headhunters, I don't know, it's like thirty, thirty-five thousand dollars, and you have to go a lot back and forth. People uh, decommit, you know, a lot of false promises. People are hyped up. Uh, so obviously, asking and having direct leads cuts out a lot of that uh, nonsense. So I was thinking, all right, this might be one of the few times in the world that I have leverage. So I said, all right, I'll join you under one commission that uh, you let me uh, work uh, where I want. Uh, so that was uh, one of the stipulations. I told them I wanted to work in Taiwan. Uh, I wanted to not work specifically U.S. hours, do my best to uh, accommodate as much as working uh, U.S. hours as I can. But that's uh, one of the things that I uh, negotiated, and I'm actually uh, uh, really grateful for that uh, because uh, one of my experiences and one of the observations I made uh, through living there – of course, you don't really have to live there to learn about this. You can hear from stories or uh, talk to your podcast. relatives about it or – yeah, I heard this podcast. Um, yeah, the, the working world uh, in Asian culture is a lot different. Uh, especially compared to the Bay Area. Uh, a lot of places there uh, show up specifically uh, at a t specific time every day. Uh, you don't leave till like maybe uh, 7 o'clock. Uh, so a lot of times you have to get in around 8. Uh, don't leave till 7, dressed up in uniform. Uh, there's none of that cushy Bay Area uh, amenities like snack bars, uh, nap lounges, ping pong tables, uh, whatever. It's a very uh, business. It's a very business-like environment there, and uh, the the pay I would not say is uh, very good. Talking about Taiwan specifically, since you know both you and I, uh, our parents um, were from Taiwan, and they one of the reasons why they probably 
wanted to move to the U.S. was because they realized, uh, yeah, there was just no upside uh, potential there, especially if you started out as like an individual contributor. Just uh, the monkey climb up is just uh, way too difficult. Uh, a lot of talent gets suppressed, and that's probably why the country has gone through uh, a lot of uh, what you call a brain drain. So a lot of their talent leaves for uh, mainland China, Australia, Singapore, United States, etc. Yeah. Well, I, overall, how did you enjoy the experience? I mean, you, you prior to you coming back, and you know, you coming back wasn't really a permanent thing. It just happened to align with this pre-COVID lockdown thing, which we're going to get into. But prior to you coming back, how long had you been living there? Uh, about eight months. So I got there on February twenty eighth. Actually, that was the exact day. Came back around uh, Chinese uh, New Year's uh, this year, which was early, so uh, middle of uh, January. So it's uh, like 11 months. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I, I, there was like two months I spent back in the States to oh, okay. wa- uh, going to a couple weddings and taking care of some business, meeting some clients here. Uh, but yeah, it, it's funny because when the breakout happened, segueing into our next topic, one of my concerns Wait, was – Wait, podcast was, is this? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. I might have cheated. I looked ahead. Uh, one of the concerns was um, the outbreak of the COVID-19 was happening and uh, – the physical distance between uh, Wuhan and uh, Taiwan, I was pretty scared that uh, if an outbreak did happen in Taiwan, I would be uh, trapped on the island and I couldn't get out because, you know, first thing that happens in a pandemic is you're supposed to seal off everyone that uh, in that area. And given how um, how populous the city of Taipei is, how close everyone is uh, together, uh, it was definitely pretty nerve-wracking. So, uh uh, once I left in Chinese New Year, I was a little hesitant about uh, going back. Obviously, knowing how we know now and knowing how the answers of how successful Taiwan's been, uh, obviously I could have stayed without any uh, repercussion. But you know, there's been a uh, foreign restriction uh, for travelers since uh, middle of uh, March, so I'm just eagerly waiting the next time I'm able to go back there. So, uh, and I have talked to some friends that that have been back i know that there is travel completely restricted there or it's if you go there you're quarantined for 14 days in your house under some really really strict scrutiny oh yeah it's 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 real quarantine it's not it's not fake quarantine like coming back in the states where you just do a home quarantine and it's kind of best practices wink wink type of thing uh yeah there's someone monitoring you someone calling you someone checking in on you you have to use one of their government phones so they know exactly where you are by gps uh, someone comes to drop off meals for you though uh so mm. and then you get your temperature checked uh like maybe like every day mm-hmm. uh that applies to anyone back in the country in terms of who can get in now uh anybody with a that's for foreign national can't get in obviously there's exceptions if you are you know some sort of foreign ambassador some there for business if you're an arc but you know it's, it's definitely a hassle now right right so since you were there in the you know around january when this whole like you know shit's coming from wuhan uh thing broke out what was the like how was the news spread and what was the attitude in the media towards what this uh what this virus was because i can tell you from the states it was and and even the, the the circles of my communication including my parents it was kind of a there's this thing 
Uh, it only affects old people, and it doesn't seem to spread that much. So let's all be careful, but let's still have this 30-day birthday party for your son sort of deal. Um, I'm curious, how was the news spread over there? Was it Red Alert, um, you know, all news stations, all hands on deck talking about this? Uh, were they immediately handing out masks in the street, hosing down or spraying down all uh, potentially contaminated surfaces? What did you see within that first those first couple of days? There was a couple of uh, New Year's, and that's I'm talking about the uh, January 1st New Year's, not the mm-hmm. Chinese uh, Lunar New Year's uh, celebrations I went to. So I was actually traveling out of Taipei before New Year's and then traveling back to Taipei after New Year's. And at that time, there was already like announcements of uh, bans on flights uh, from all of China, not just uh, Wuhan. Mm-hmm. And then there was already rumors and like the line chats and then along the news that they play uh, in the buffets, like, hey, there's a, a unknown virus that's starting to spread in China. Everyone started taking precautions. Uh, a lot of these kind of precautions were taken because of uh, experience from uh, SARS and H1 mm-hmm. uh, 20 and 10 years ago. So the general populace knew how to react very quickly. Uh, so in situations like this, uh, people knew about, okay, uh, we're supposed to wear masks, uh, we're supposed to practice uh, good hygiene, all the important sexual what workers that work. We got to practice good hygiene? The fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it's definitely uh, more emphasized uh, in a lot of the uh, Asian cultures. If you look at their subway system, their public transportation, their general use bathrooms, there's someone cleaning it at all times. It's not like here in the States where you know you wouldn't, wouldn't want to use the bathroom unless you really, really had to, uh, you know. Uh, so they were kind of already on like sound the alarm and everyone in society knew how to react right away. Like people didn't have to be trained, uh, to do it. So I think that was one big uh, differentiator between, uh, Asia and, uh, and the States here. Do people hold each other accountable? Like if, uh, you know, you were out and some of your friends, you know, some of your more local friends who had lived through SARS and, um, and swine flu, actually did, was swine flu a big thing? Over there? Uh, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know eventually everyone probably got it eventually, I heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so eventually everyone developed herd immunity, but uh, I wasn't there for that time, so I wouldn't know. Right. But anyway, were, did the locals there um, who had kind of been through those previous experiences be like, hey, yo, like, this this is a big deal. Like, you you know, you need to wear your mask or you need to you know, be be a little more cautious about these things. Obviously, you know, you're not going to be able to do the six-foot thing because you're riding public transit, but mm. um, just general, like, etiquette. Is, is that something that people watch out for each other for, or is it still just kind of like, uh, if that guy doesn't do it, whatever? Um, uh, I, I don't know because I haven't been there since the uh, middle of uh, January, mm-hmm. uh, but I would uh, assume so. But a lot of it also falls within... Uh, the Asian culture um, over there, video use is kind of uh, pervasive. So the act of uh, meeting up a lot of times isn't necessary. Uh, so that's one of the things that could slow the transmission of the virus. Uh, another thing is, uh, so what do you mean, uh, like for business interactions? Yeah, or even yeah, friends? for business interactions or or just with friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of uh, because you know when it's 
the breakouts that are happening here, there was a huge shift of video that a lot of people weren't used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing is, uh, you know, in the states here, and you saw this kind of during the Democratic debates, was uh, slowly going away from handshakes to bumping elbows to, to bows uh, mm-hmm. as a sign of gesture and a sign of appreciation. But th- that's always been there uh, in Asian culture. And then lastly, I don't think any cash is used uh, in lots of the first world Asian countries. It's all contactless uh, mm-hmm. NFC payments uh, on your phone. Uh, mm-hmm. So that kind of slows the transmission down uh, as well. True, true. Yeah, Taiwan, I think phone is a big thing. Also, the yo-yo car, right? That's still that's still a method that you can pay, which is essentially your, in the States, it would be your Metro Pass. Right. Yeah, um, and yeah, mainland China, I think it's like Zifubao and like mm-hmm. Alipay. Mm-hmm. Uh, some places, like if you give them cash, they're like, "Hey, no one's paid with cash today. We can't find change." <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting, and I wonder if that the change towards that of, of kind of being a cashless system was probably partly because the Asian countries are generally a lot more technologically advanced, but I wonder if the whole SARS and transmission of viruses was taken into account as well, because yeah, really money, money's super fucking dirty, man. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Literally and figuratively. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, you, you hit up a McDonald's, you know, you, you don't know where, like how many different sets of hands that those dollar bills have passed w- within that day alone. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's really funny when we watch some of our favorite uh, movies, whether it's about like uh, uh, the Mexican drug lords or the shady dealings, and you see people like taking a big stack of cash and sniffing it, or like like laying and swimming in money. You <laughs> you start to wonder, you know? Yeah, yeah. What, what's the future of that going to look like? What are the what are the cartel lords going to do to to emphasize their their uh, fortunes in the movies? Like, what, what's the equivalent of that? Looking <laughs> Um, any other thoughts that, uh, that, that you have from coming back here? Um, you know, that was there a bit of a culture shock for how unseriously Americans were taking it? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, I was probably, uh, part of the guilty party that was, uh, uh, a lot of the poor behaviors, um, pre, uh, shelter in place in California, uh, there was a lot of people, me included, that decided in early March, hey, we can go uh, uh, group isolate and uh, social distance in Tahoe as long as we're in a cabin together. You know, it doesn't matter that there's 10 of us together and we're uh, drinking alcohol and we're sitting in a circle playing drinking games. Uh, we're socially distancing, you know. Uh, one of my friends uh, also had a, a Korean barbecue and then uh, the tag on the Instagram photo was something like uh, "Last dinner, last supper before social distancing takes place." It just kind of shows like some of the ignorance that uh, we all had at that time. Uh, you know, it was like you know, we uh, knew that it was coming, but yet we still decided to sneak in one last get together, uh, probably not knowing uh, until we saw the bodies pile, pile up in. Uh, New York City and the morgues that, uh, yeah, this is, this is very serious. Yeah. I hope uh, all of you guys die of COVID. Um, (laughs) but you know, in in all seriousness, it, it, part of that is the media here, right? And and the media here and even the WHO wasn't, wasn't really communicating the, the seriousness of this, of this virus here. So it, it almost came as the whole social distancing thing almost came as a, 
uh, as a more of a precautionary thing and not a like we have to do this to re you know to flatten the curve approach, uh, which eventually it did become right. And I and I think the majority of us for a while bought into it, and you know now we have we have all the other people that are you know. Um, going to state capitals and you know raising hell and we don't we don't need to get into that but um overall it's just and, and i talked about this with a couple of people that that have been on previous episodes it's always interesting to to see attitudes right to, to think about culture to think about okay what, what does it mean to be um obedient what does it mean to trust your government the one thing that makes america so great and you know blah 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 melting pot blah 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 freedom is also the thing that is what's causing an issue right now and causing such a such opposition to what you know in my mind is is saving this country yeah uh unfortunately there is a choice right now especially since the elections is coming up in six months uh save the economy or uh save uh save lives it's literally uh that simple um my only thoughts on it is uh yeah i totally agree with uh flattening the curve but one thing that people have to realize with flattening the curve is that the the purpose of flattening the curve is that we don't all get the virus at one time it doesn't mean that we should stay sheltered in place all the way until the virus goes away because it, it, it's not going away. <laughs> Flattening the curve just means, all right, we can slowly take off the shackles. And since we understand uh, a lot of the prevention and mitigation techniques, such as social distancing, wearing masks, covering our mouths, in uh, a lot of the businesses know how to handle and run run themselves better that we can slowly get our economy uh, back into place. But I don't think any of this would have been possible without shelter in place first and people kind of kind of educating themselves, uh, whether it be from seeing how serious it is or seeing how other more successful countries uh, handle have handled the virus. And, and what's sad and kind of lost in all this is how there's not much of a spotlight on Taiwan because countries do not many countries don't recognize taiwan as a as a country and that's a that's a political discussion for another day um no but i, I yeah I, well i i think that i've seen a lot of uh, articles written about the success of taiwan and you know coincidentally a lot of the places that have had uh, female leaders because they're more receptive of listening to science as opposed to be being politically or financially uh, driven and running their country. But I think one of the highlights to one of the things to highlight between South Korea and Taiwan is people there have largely been able to continue living their lives because they know how to act in public. Like outside of ha mass gatherings, you can still do a lot of things. Like you can still go to restaurants, you can go hang out at parks. You can go meet up with friends. People are still going into work. Uh, th 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 I think that should be a very uh, important part highlighted because in the U.S., we basically are starting to learn how to walk again. And how is it that, okay, we can live a normal life without another uh, big outbreak happening here, without a big outbreak happening here? It's, it, it's a lesson on um – you know, to, to get to that point, and and your point's actually absolutely right that you know they are functioning as relatively normal. You know, schools are open for God's sake, which is which is beyond me. Um, but but it takes more than just 
being aware and being, you know, people have to buy into it and hold themselves accountable and hold each other accountable. And, um, you know, not, not to make a sweeping generalization about, you know, the, the, or this wonderful country that we live in, but, um, <laughs> it, it's, it's just not in our culture to, to do that. Um, I, I just, you know, what, I would love to be proved wrong, but, but I, I just don't quite see it, which is why I think this, um, the level of caution that the, our governors are proceeding with and kind of delaying these, um, quote unquote shelter in place directives is is unfortunately warranted yeah unfortunately it looks like uh red states were uh lifo last in first out and blue states are first in last out <laughs> <laughs> hey those people need their uh, massages and haircuts and uh the, the one bonkers thing that i saw was tattoo like, tattoo yeah one bonkers thing that i saw was like some woman saying that being sheltered in place is like slavery. It was like, oh my god, that is that is that is, that is bonkers. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, any thoughts on uh, you know personal reflections that you've had during this time? I, I think this is always a good question that I like to ask my guests. Any anything new that you've picked up, or anything that you've uh, found a greater appreciation for? Yeah, a lot of the uh, activities that you've been. Uh, writing the beginning of the year for New Year's resolutions, uh, like I'm going to study Python, for example, for me, or I'm going to catch up on studying Chinese. Uh, I'm going to clean out and fix out my closet. A lot of the antisocial things that kind of require a little bit of uh, isolation and focus. If you don't get around to it now, when will you get <laughs> around to it? You know, uh, catching up on TV series. Uh, that you said that uh, you would catch up on uh, stuff like that, catching up with friends, uh, taking a time to uh, reflect on what's important. So it's not really been the worst thing in the world, uh, to be honest, because mm-hmm. in you know uh, under quote unquote normal life, there's just a lot of distractions uh, for if you want to do kind of those self improvement things in the background. Yeah, it's funny, and I and I know you listen to Bill Simmons also, so I think it was. Oh, definitely. Uh, you, you might have you might have heard this, but uh, his buddy Ryan Rosillo was talking about how he's writing a screenplay or something like that, and um, you know what you said is absolutely right. Like, if you don't pursue your creative outlets or that thing that you've always wanted to do right now, there, you might as well just give that up because there's <laughs> no better time than right now to to be able to you know write that screenplay or draw that comic book or make that song that you want to be uh to to be the you know a billboard top top 10 hit if you don't find the time to do it now you you never will and just give just give up on it stop bullshitting yourself stop letting that hang over your head just just drop it and find something else and and i think that's absolutely right i mean you know as as busy as I feel these days, and you know my my work is kind of a probably a side discussion that you and I can catch up on another day, but I still feel like you know with the work and an infant at home, there's still time and flexibility for me to pursue things if I wanted to. You know, this podcast is what my creative outlet and something that I've committed myself to already. So finding the additional time for other things is not not really going to happen, and I'm okay with that. But yeah, I, I just think that, you know, one, one of the positive things that's come out of this whole thing is seeing people's 
creative outlets on Facebook and, uh, you know, seeing people pick up, you know, new, I don't know, even things that I'm not really into, but like cooking, like uh, seeing yeah. people post photos of the cooking that they've done, seeing, um, people post videos of them, uh, you know, singing haircuts, or, <laughs> haircuts. Yeah. All these like, or like, you know, different ways that they're entertaining their kids. Like, th- Oh yeah. Yeah. Th- that's all stuff that I typically don't enjoy looking at, but at least I can appreciate that. You know, there's been some kind of level up in creativity that people have embraced. Uh, any last thoughts on this pandemic as a whole or, uh, uh oh, um, thoughts on the basketball season. But, well, that's uh, where I was. That's exactly where I was going. Uh, <laughs> just uh, because of I was watching the last uh, the last dance documentary right. about. Uh, I know, and and I'll, I'll get you on to talk about it when I when I actually watch the whole thing. But um, you know, what what are your thoughts on this season particularly? Uh, I thought that uh, being a rebandwagon Lakers fan, this would probably be uh, LeBron's best chance. Uh, to win a finals, that'd be a pretty staunt accomplishment. Uh, win championships with uh, three different uh, organizations, mm. uh, especially since uh, before they got there. Before he got there, a lot of these, you know, Cleveland, uh, Miami to a certain extent, definitely the Lakers were in the pits. So uh, yeah. that's an accomplishment that he could hang his hat on that Jordan never did was that, yeah, he revived three franchises. Uh, and the other thought I thought of since I'm here in the Bay Area is like, what what great fortune for the for the Warriors. It's like, yeah, <laughs> uh, they had an injury-depleted season, but if the season ends up never happening uh, and it gets wiped away to zero in the books, they get free high draft pick and they're reloaded to uh, make a make second run at things. <laughs> yeah, their seventh, their seventh straight finals run, or what, what would it be, fifth or sixth? Yeah. I don't even know what it would be. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, a real stroke of good fortune would have been if we ended up with the pick for next year because, you know, this draft is... The double draft? Yeah, Yeah. the double draft. But instead this year we have a a choice between Wiseman, LaMelo Ball, and uh, Edwards, which is not... None of it sounds too appetizing from (laughs) the the little I read. Um, Do you you see that window shrinking shrinking, um, vastly for the Lakers if they have to run it back next year? I mean... The, I mean, other than a retooled Warriors team, do is there that much player movement in the Western Conference? The Clippers are basically going to stay the same. Oh, well, first off, they have to re-sign Anthony Davis. That's not a – technically, he's a free agent. Mm, yeah, uh, that would be no. the first thing. Uh, everyone's uh, a year older, um, so a lot of the people on the one-year contracts, uh, Rondo, uh, McGee, uh, Avery Bradley, et cetera, et cetera, that are kind of built for this kind of a one-year run. It's like, all right, do we bring them back again? And then there's also talk of, uh, or the def- I think they said it was definitely going to delay the start of next season until December. So uh, it's like, w- do we really have the young legs to compete in a, God forbid, 82-game season again? Uh, it would be pretty demoralizing considering that they were, what, second place out of- uh, compared to Milwaukee, so they would be first in the West. Uh, and without the threat of the Warriors, uh, the three-point shooting, like uh, guarding point guards was kind of the weakness of the Lakers. Uh, this was probably their best chance to probably blow through the, the West and then uh, take on whoever, whether it be Milwaukee, Boston, or uh, Toronto without Kawhi. This would have been a good, great chance uh, for the Lakers organizations to get back on top. Yeah, I mean, it's not a complete wash, and, and 
I personally think that the the one year guys that you listed aren't aren't impact players. Like I think Rondo barely played. You know, Javale he'll he'll resign for whatever money that they were paying him. Um, it's it's not hard for LeBron and AD to recruit people to play with them. Um, I I don't I don't think any of those people are leaving to you know join the you know the the Jazz. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think they're still positioned to be in a pretty good place. And you know the the Homer in me thinks that the Warriors are going to be awesome, but the the realist in me actually thinks that Draymond's on a huge decline, and we're not mm-hmm. we're not. If if it were up to me, um, I would trade him for Gobert. <laughs> I would. Any other thoughts on basketball? What, what about the uh, what, what about the Disneyland idea? Uh, you mean the bubble cities or the? Yeah, yeah I, I mean I think that's a great idea. Uh, I, I've always thought that you know the first round should be shortened anyway. Like why bother drag it out? I think in the early '80s the first round was only three rounds. So uh, if they really are serious about uh, finishing the season, yeah, one of the strategies would be shortening the first round to maybe best of three, second round best of five, uh, and then maybe best of seven for conference finals and then finals. And obviously, you would have to, you know, follow a lot of the social distances and isolations. Uh, so no family, obviously no fans in the stands. Probably a different ball every quarter if they had to. Probably the referees have to be running around in masks. Uh, kind of set it, but you know it's a good time for them to set an example of um, uh, what it's like and how you can uh, a business can adapt quickly. You know, yeah. uh, I, I, and, in my mind, I'm just imagining like the the LA Lakers riding like Space Mountain or something in their <laughs> off time because they have nothing else to do. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you're you're right in the sense that it does set a good example, and and I think that the NBA being the quote unquote most progressive league of all the professional sports i think would be the the best to establish um you know not only guidelines for other professional sports but guidelines for you know what happens on the you know in at the much more uh, amateur level or even in the um you know on the playgrounds right mm-hmm. like I, I think people could really look to that and be like oh you know they're doing it so we should too mm-hmm it, it it would be something to go to one of those games though, huh? Like an empty ass arena and uh, <laughs> just echoes, echoes, yeah. something. Um, any other thoughts? I mean, I, uh, I I think we can take a short break and then we'll jump over to the next thing that you want to talk about, which is Tiger Tail. Yeah, not not to be uh, confused with uh, that one uh, Tiger King series on Netflix, which. <laughs> I, I didn't think it was any good, but uh... <laughs> I haven't watched that yet either. But but there have been requests for me to review it, so we, we'll see. Um, but you you fortunately got priority, and we'll do Tiger Tail after this break. A long way from GA. Yes, and all the muchachas, they call me Big Papa. When I throw pesos, then wait. Adios and via Cornelius. A long way from GA. Someone do me a favor and 
pour me some Jaeger and I'll grab my guitar and play.